Well, since we last talked, surprise, surprise. How you doing, Femi? Doing we, good. Doing good. We have a president-elect. We have a president that doesn't want to leave the White House that claims voter fraud. We have rising numbers of coronavirus cases, and everybody wants to jettison Jamal Adams out of Seattle. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we've got quite, quite a bit of stuff going on. You know, uh, I, I feel like we can touch on the third thing, uh, the, the, the first two, um, you know. Actually, so there was one A and one B, the, the presidents, <laughs> two was the coronavirus, and three was Jamal Adams, because we're not going to hear beer to talk about the other stuff, because yeah. we have so much sports to talk about. Yeah, I think one A and one B are, uh, they, they're actually on the cutting room floor, unfortunately. The, the, yeah. Please, folks, text us if you'd like our thoughts on those. <laughs> uh, meaning that only if I know you, uh, I can talk to you. <laughs> this, this is true. Some oceans we care not to jump into. Exactly. So. Just over here, just trying to just get my life jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. I like that. But uh, another edition of Femi and Ferrari, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you may find us. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Like Mike mentioned, a lot going on in the sports world, breaking news this afternoon. Uh, but, you know, what's happening locally, obviously all eyes on the Seahawks as they try to bounce back. And then the Huskies, we're hoping, fingers crossed, will be able to play their season opener come Saturday night. But uh, it's, it's another no, November here as we are in this uh, sports sports world. And I guess we can start off with the Seahawks. I didn't even mention that the, the Masters is going on. I mean, we where do we start? in November. So, you know, a tradition unlike any other is definitely unlike any other this go-around, having been played in November out there at Augusta National in Georgia. But uh, let's start with the Seahawks. You know, and there's right a lot on. of fans that are, that are uh, wanting to hear some Seahawks stuff. And a lot of people that are upset after last week's developments – and rightfully so, but uh, also I think is a little bit of a harsh reality check of, of, of what life can be like in the NFL. And I think uh, we once again learned that after they got throttled by the Buffalo Bills this past Sunday. Yeah, it was, uh, you, you know, it's one of those games where you kind of knew they may run into some trouble with the way the defense had been. And then with all the different injuries they'd been dealing with and hoping to get some guys back, but disjointed effort at best, you know, defensively, I think Carlos Dunlap looked good from what we saw, Yeah, uh, but he's just trying to do his thing. Uh, and, and the, the secondary continues to get absolutely lit up. And I was thinking about this, knowing that we would be talking about it way terrible. I don't understand why people in Seattle have such a hard time driving in the rain. I, I, I will never understand that. It's just, it should be an inherent quality. Um, well, it doesn't rain here as often as people say it does. <laughs> true, but we shouldn't be so shocked we, when it does. It's not Arizona. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that what I was thinking about, and there's kind of the Seahawk way of because a lot of this, how the the dialogue and regard of the Seahawk defense, everybody wants Ken Norton fired. But then Pete talked about how on that third and 20 on the weekend, he made the adjustment on the call. I don't know if that was taking blame or just really, you know, definitely showing that he has a lot of influence on the defense. But the way the, the Seahawks, when the Legion of Boom Day Super Bowl years used to be like, OK, we are going to play our defense and we will stop you. Yes. And there's not going to be much change. We're going to have our defensive backs are going to hit you hard at the line. We're going to make you scared to go across the middle and we're going to get after your quarterback and your run game is not going to get very far. 
I mean, they kind of just broke it down and said, bring it on. You know what we're going to do. It's really simple. We just have the athletes that are going to do it. And, I mean, there's so many different layers to this, Femi. But I think Jamal Adams is a fantastic athlete. But when you consider he had just started to kind of gel a little bit during the Dallas game, then he gets hurt. Then he's off again. Then you got guys uh, like Neil and, and Ugo kind of finding their way and beginning to play well. Of course, Ugo gets hurt. But you basically have a defense that isn't like that anymore. And then when Jamal comes back, he's kind of the wild card. He does a lot of good things. But what about coverage? It, it's not that, you know, basically line them up, come at us type of thing. There's a lot of exotics to it, I guess, now because Jamal's part of it. And it's not the Seahawk way. So I think they're having a hard time adjusting to that. I don't know if that's wrong. That's just my thought on that. But it's not they're not doing what made them great in years past, especially as far as the passing defense goes. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, for, on, on one hand, though, it's like, do you blame them? Because it's, it, you can't really play the way they played in 2012 through 14. That's not right. reality. That, mm-hmm. is, that is lightning in a bottle. And I think the Seahawks are starting to learn that more and more as these years, as we get removed from those Super Bowl kind of caliber teams, that yep. hey, that was the biggest anomaly ever. Like like you mentioned, like the Seahawks on all levels of the defense had elite players. I mean, you're talking about Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, both those guys, not quite Hall of Famers, but they're Ring of Honor caliber type players. Then Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Bobby's gonna go to the Hall of Fame. Then you have Legion of Boom, where two of those guys are for sure going to the Hall of Fame, maybe a third one. So it's mm-hmm. like, like that's not like nobody has that <laughs> ever. And when you, when exactly. you, when you yep. have those guys, you can play, hey, we're going to play cover three. You know we're going to play cover three. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do to stop it because we are that talented and we believe our guys can beat your guys. Now, what the real NFL is like is like, hey, we have a couple guys who are kind of talented and some guys who are replacement level. So we have to kind of do some things to scheme up some stops. Maybe it's by using exotic coverages or maybe sending a pressure at the right time. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the Seahawks are kind of learning that on the fly or have been over the last, say, three years or so once we've seen this kind of decline of the defense after they let Earl Thomas go and then after Richard Sherman left to San Francisco. That's kind of really where this kind of turn started to where they've been known as more of an average or below average defense. Exactly. So I think that that's just – it's kind of on-the-job learning essentially is like they are learning how to play defense in the modern NFL and what the rules are, what they are. It, it's difficult, you know, it's like, and like it's everybody deals with it. So there's really no excuse for why they're on track to being the worst pass defense in the past decade. Like that's <laughs> like, you know, like I, I get, I hear the arguments of that the Seahawks give up a lot of pass yards because they're ahead often, but that, that it, it, you're not that much ahead. You know, you don't you don't start the yeah. game. You don't start the game twenty four up, you know. So I, I don't really yeah. want to hear about that excuse about, hey, we're always winning. That's why we give up all these yards. No, it's not just that. That's part of it, but a small part of it. The bigger part of it is that these teams are able to pass on you because if if it was just because you were always winning, we wouldn't have seen Buffalo start the game in the first half only calling two run plays. Like <laughs> you know, like right. Buffalo said you can't stop us in the passing game. 
and the Seahawks from the first play until the end of the game were not able to stop them. So it has nothing to do with the score. So I, I, <laughs> Correct. I, I, I think it's more so just they have to get healthy. I mean, lost in what happened last week, they were pretty banged up on the back end. Quentin Dunbar was playing at probably 50%. He probably shouldn't have been out there, to be quite honest. I mean, tip of the cap for him for even playing. Clearly the knee was bothering him because I've never seen him look that stuck in mud before in my life watching him play. Shaquille Griffin was out. Google Amadi was out, you mentioned. So I, I think it's just trying to learn on the fly with the coaching staff and how they want to defend these teams and what they can do. But then also just getting healthy. And getting right. healthy is a big part of it in this league. And sometimes you find yourself in a spot where you don't have your guys. And it's unfortunate, but you tend to lose those games, and when you, especially when you play a good team and you're on the road. And I don't want to chalk it all up to just health because Buffalo, tip of the cap to them, they played an awesome game. But health is a large reason as to why they could not cover in that game against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you had that, the, the coaching staff knew that, so they were just trying to put things out. Is this a final product or a finished product? No, I don't believe it is. Uh, will they ever be a good defense this year? No, I don't think they will be. But they don't have to be a good defense this year. They just need to be somewhat credible on defense. And if they can work towards that, and that's the biggest question, they should be fine. But uh, as of right now, in a kind of a long-winded way of saying it, I don't think the sky is falling with the Seahawks. The defense is not going to be good, but we've known that since week two. So, you know, they just got to figure some things out, maybe switch some things up schematically. Hopefully, maybe as they're learning to get more creative, they can kind of find how they want to do it and then just kind of see where the chips fall. Because the trade deadline has passed. There's no other player that's going to come out of the sky to help save you. So this is kind of what you got. So the pressure, essentially, and I I think what we saw is on Sunday, the defense can play as bad as they want. But the offense needs to be flawless. Because if the offense has four turnovers like they did, Russell Wilson doesn't have his best game or is forced to try to make things happen they're going to run into some trouble. So it's kind of like playing with fire a little bit. You know, but I want to go back to, to the Dunbar injury thing. And like you said, we did, we're not going to make excuses and he was out there trying or whatever. But did, did you happen to hear Pete Carroll's comments, and I wish I had the transcript exactly, on Monday in regards to Quentin? Uh, I did not. No, I didn't catch that. So he, he talked a, a little bit about how far off the receiver he plays. And that they need to get used to it. I'm going to try and find the quote for you. But it just seems so contradictory to the Richard Sherman, Brandon Browner. And again, I go back to that time of, you know, the, the lightning in the bottle. But the guys that would just stiff you at the line and, like, hurt you before you even left on your pattern, right? But he, it, it, just, it was just an awkward answer in regards from Pete. Like, I don't know if they really got the guy they thought they were getting as far as technique and it, and it, it just, it was, I'm going to play it for you when I see you on Sunday. It, it was, it was one of the more bizarre answers because it was a rather lengthy explanation, but it wasn't like a, you know, an endorsement of the way Dunbar plays. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, granny was hurt and maybe that was the only way in that game with being injured, he could, you know, and, and not that it was very effective, he could keep up with the receiver bolting down the sideline, but it, it was a, it was a bizarre, 
bizarre thing because I know they're frustrated. That that that's always been Pete's hallmark, and um, they also need to figure out from a financial standpoint. You know, if you're going to be good on offense, how are you good on defense as well, uh, and how do you pay for that? So that's something to think about in the future. Yeah, no, I, I mean for Dunbar, you know, it's almost like it's it's probably self preservation out right. there on the field. You know, if you're out there with sure. a banged up knee. You're you're not gonna play up on a guy because then you could definitely get beat for touchdowns, mm-hmm. and, and and not like they weren't beat for touchdowns quite a bit on on Sunday, but right. I mean, you don't want to be the guy who's ten yards behind a receiver on a go route because you were playing up on him on the line of scrimmage. Now maybe if you give him ten yards of cushion, maybe you're only a couple yards behind the receiver, right? And right. stuff. So it's it, it's it's probably a lot of things. It's hard to pinpoint it at one. Um, one thing with the Ken Norton thing, and obviously, I mean, every fan base wants to fire every single coach. Um, that's just kind of sure. how it is. You know, I, I root for a team that we fired Jason Garrett. I want to say about 12 or 13 times over the course of 10 years. Cause everybody's got to <laughs> yeah. find somebody to blame, right? Well, yeah, it's always yeah, somebody's fault. You got to find someone to blame. It's somebody's fault. And it's easy to get rid of the coach versus it is than getting rid of 40 some odd players. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that's, right. that's just not realistic um, in terms of a turnover. But, you know, it's the defensive scheme. And my biggest concern was the whole like we do what we do kind of thing. And now they haven't done that to the same extent they used to. But it's still not really up to par to where it needs to be, I guess, to be a middle of the road defense, because that's all they need. They don't need a good defense. They just need a middle of the road passable kind of defense but then also when you watch this defense statistically they're terrible but when you look around the league it's like there's not many good defense I mean I can count on my hand how many like legitimately good defenses there are in the NFL Baltimore Pittsburgh Chicago right and then that's about it in terms of who I'm confident in saying is good on defense that's three teams Everyone else, it just depends on how good the other team's offense is, and then that, that will be what dictates how good your defense looks. Right. It, it's, it's a tough league to defend, and I think people really got to understand that. And I think that, that was really the, what was behind this whole let Russ cook movement was that defenses are going to stink. You yeah. can't win with defense in the, in the NFL anymore. Mm-hmm. The best teams are good because they're really good on offense. And, and that's always – and that's been the case for about, like, the past three or four years now, just with the way the rules are at. I mean, we saw the Chiefs. The Chiefs' defense isn't anything that's special. But the Chiefs are awesome because they have an awesome offense. The Ravens last year – I mean, the Ravens were more so like a balanced team. And this year, they're really good on defense. But it's the Ravens, it goes with how their offense goes. Like, your offense is typically what dictates things. And the turnovers are what a lot of people are really glossing over from that Buffalo game. I think it was a rare kind of just lightning in a bottle where you played really poorly on defense. You went up against a really good play caller who we talked about on last week's week's episode. We said, hey, this is going to be a game where the Buffalo is going to put up points because they have a really good coordinator and their offense is really efficient. And that's what ended up coming to fruition. But you go up against a good coordinator, you turn the ball over, so it's like just that combination of just it's hard to win football games when all that happens and it's going against you. And that's just what happened in this instance. So you hope that they can kind of get things together and just, you know, it's 
it, Russell's not going to turn the ball over that much. That's just not going to be the case. And even right. turning the ball over twice in the first half, I believe it was, they were only down by seven at one point in the second half. It, it was a very winnable game if they just limited some of those mistakes on offense. So I, I, I still think that this is a team that is an NFC contender. Uh, nobody needs to be writing them off completely. No, are, are no. they a are they a team that is like I never thought that this team was going to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. That was just was not my belief. I only think there's actually legitimately two teams that could probably win the Super Bowl, and they reside in Kansas City and Baltimore. That's in my opinion the NFC runner the NFC winner is probably playing for second more often than not. Hmm. But I think the Seahawks can be one of those teams that gets to a Super Bowl even with the defense being as bad as it looks. Because one, there's nowhere to go it up. <laughs> that right. also helps. And two, they're just gonna get more reps together. They're gonna get healthier. They don't have a devastating injury on defense. Maybe you could mm-hmm. argue Marquise Blair, and maybe that would affect how things kind of look after right. he went down week two. But there's nobody that's absolutely devastating that they've lost, knock on wood, on defense. So they should be able to get better. And I think that they can be there in the end. Just I mean. Look at Green Bay's defense. Are, are they anything special? No, they got ran all over by Minnesota a couple of weeks ago. Right, right. They lost. And look at Tampa Bay's defense. They were awesome until they weren't and got shredded to pieces on Sunday night against New Orleans. Yeah. And New Orleans' defense has been shredded to pieces in different games this season. And so it's like it's everybody has their warts. And, right. you know, I can live with the warts that the Seahawks have because why they have Russell Wilson. And in the NFC, he's the best quarterback in the conference, so I can go to battle knowing I have that, that I can hang my hand on that, and that he's going to play at his best level in those big games. And, you know, you just kind of have to see where the chips fall after that. It's it's interesting that, you know, Bobby says they will get better. There's a lot of focus. Pete believes in the defense. Do you think if this was a normal NFL year, no COVID, we're breathing on each other, everybody's going out to restaurants, we're seeing concerts, life is normal. They had the draft, they had free agency, they had OTAs, they had their mini camps, they had their training camp, they had four games of preseason. When you sit here and start to really add up field time that these dudes were in Zoom sessions, there's only so much you can get done. And I know Pete said they won that, and they did a great job. But when when it comes to just you know, that natural feeling of where a guy is, where that teammate is, was this guy going to have you in this situation that, you know, when, when you've been in any relationship for a long time, the less talking you have to do, you know, a lot of it's just often signals, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or looking at each other. I mean, how many conversations do you have with your girlfriend where you just look at each other and you already, you spoke like five sentences, right? Exactly. I I, I mean, (laughs) but, but what I'm saying is they did miss every team did, which is why I think defensively, there's a lot of yards and scorings up and that's what the NFL wants anyways. But there was a lot of time missed where maybe these first eight games could be looked at as, okay, maybe these guys are trying to play together, but still they're not getting, getting a good sample set because Jamal was out. Blair is hurt. You know, different guys, Shaquille's out with a concussion. They're piece, piecemealing it together. So even if they did have some time to, to mold, uh, gel together, that, that wouldn't, mean diddly poo right now because there's all these different guys back there so you you know it's almost like they couldn't win but at least they would have known each other and been able to kind of fill in and different things like that so it's 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 just a very unique year uh, across the board and you know they're halfway there so let's see what they do this week against where there's a really good rams team that can throw and run and 
You know, the Seahawks do not play well down in L.A. They play a lot of, I mean, really tough games with the Rams. They beat each other up. A um, little concerned about Ethan Posick. I haven't got a practice report yet today if he practiced or not, but he's out with a concussion. Who is our backup center? Uh, I believe it's it's the Fuller kid, I believe, is who would be the backup. I right. think if he's been a uh... – Because no Joey Hunt, and then they traded the other guy to, to the Finney Bengals. Got, yeah. Finney got traded away, so I believe it would be Fuller Yeah, who would be the backup center. I want to double-check that, though. Yeah, So because there's no one jumps out to me. I mean, what, what are you going to do, put um, Will Disley in there? I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. Un- Uncle Will can maybe uh, get something going. Sure. Yeah. yeah, Kyle Fuller is who they have listed as yeah. the second string center right now. So Posey can't go. Wow. That's uh, that it creates some problems in the interior where I don't know. Maybe the Rams probably have the best player in the NFL in the interior, and Aaron Donald. Yeah. How many times <laughs> do you adjust with Aaron Donald? How many calls do you make at the line based on what that guy is doing, how he's lining up? So that, exactly. that should be a trial by fire if Mr. Fuller is the man in the middle on, on Sunday. We'll see. Yeah, that would be a nightmare if, uh, if it's Fuller who's in the – and then nothing against him. Maybe he might play well. Yeah. But you never really want to have your guy coming in, a backup, going up against Aaron Donald. We saw what Aaron Donald could do against a Joey Hunt, and uh, no, nobody wants to see that happen. <laughs> Right. <laughs> on he Sunday. trucked him. I, he just trucked him. That was the game at CenturyLink, right? He just pushed him back. I mean, it was just. Yeah. And that that's just no fault of, of Joey Hunts. He's just a no, smaller that, that, person. Yeah, there's <laughs> nothing you can do. With Aaron Donald, I've learned that, hey, there's nothing you can do. You just kind of got to hold on for dear life. <laughs> because uh, he is definitely one of the all-time greats. Right. On the defensive line, for sure. Uh, but transitioning to this Rams game. Yeah. You know, I. The way I see it, you mentioned it a lot, like the Seahawks tend to struggle. And I think defensively, this is really where I'm curious to see if they do end up sticking with this blitz. Because the the book is out. Like, if you get pressure on Jared Goff, you can make him rattled. He doesn't Mm -hmm. play as well against pressure. He's a completely different quarterback when he's pressured. When he's not pressured, he's really good. When he's pressured... He is a bottom-tier quarterback. That's just kind of how his career has played out. Right. So if the Seahawks can get some pressure on him, are they willing to roll the dice and maybe compromise themselves on the back end? You know, because we know that Pete, he loves to limit those big plays and he loves to kind of keep everything in front of him. But I don't think you can play this Rams offense like that because if you let Goff sit back there, and they've done so in the past, let him kind of sit back there with time. He's picked them apart especially since McVay has arrived. You know, McVay's offense has, you know, historically kind of chewed up Pete's defense here over the last uh, few years. So I'm curious to see how they play this Rams offense. And then also on the other side of the ball, the Seahawks, the Rams do present some interesting issues. You know, the Rams, what they are good at is they're good in the secondary and they're good on the defensive line. Their linebackers are a little bit of a weak spot, but, Jalen Ramsey, for for my money, is probably the best cornerback in the NFL. You figure that he's a bigger, really athletic guy. You think that they're probably going to put him on DK. That should allow for Tyler to maybe get some help. But then if if Ramsey's able to slow down DK Metcalf by himself and they're allowed to maybe double Tyler, then where does Russ go with the football? Mm -hmm. So it's it's one of those things that it's like they can match up kind of well with what Seattle – uh, is able to do on the offensive side of the ball. 
And we expect it to be another week where there'll be no Chris Carson. I mean, Pete said that he might give it a go. We'll see what happens. He has a better chance than Carlos Hyde. Right. But if it, but if it ends up being no Hyde and no Carson, then you're down to DJ Dallas, Alex Collins. I saw that they signed Bo Scarborough to the practice squad. Or mm-hmm. He might be elevated. So it's like they're a little light in the backfield. So it's it's asking a lot from Russ. And then, I mean, if you throw the Ethan Postick thing on top, it's, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, I think that it's going to be a close game just because that's how the Seahawks typically play their games. But yeah, it, it could be it could be pretty tough going against this Rams team that's coming off of a bye and is pretty healthy uh, with the week off. Yeah, so some interesting facts about the Rams. Uh, the Seahawks have held Los Angeles to fewer than 28 points only once in their last six meetings. And the Rams really good at home. 5-0 and in their last five home games, and they're 3-0 and this season at the new SoFi Stadium, which looks pretty darn awesome. And, yeah. and if, if, the NA, if the NFL goes to a bubble, if, let, let's say they get to that point and they talked about this week bringing up SoFi Stadium. This is just a quick left turn and you hear in this conversation, so I apologize. <laughs> but I, I, I was thinking about today, or yesterday rather, when that whole thing came out. But I, couldn't you see the bubble in the East being Atlanta? that premier stadium there you've been there really nice and then you have the sofi stadium in la and wouldn't that just be east and west i mean couldn't that just be i mean they could do arizona if they wanted to stay out of the city and keep everybody in glendale and like really make a bubble i mean as best they could i guess maybe that that stadium looks like a bubble too yeah Yeah. i mean i guess it'd be easier to do a bubble there than than sofi because there's no hotels around there it's just the lax airport but um uh, that stadium, something else, and I, I don't think people have really even had a chance to enjoy it down there to, no, to see no. because they're playing where USC used to play for a few years. So it's a night yeah, and day. That, yeah, nobody's been to that stadium, you know, mm-hmm. at least other than the people who are official in terms of the game and right and the people who helped build the stadium. Nobody else is. We've all seen it from afar, but yeah, like you said it, it definitely passes the eye test from what I've seen. That's gonna be a tough game. It's gonna be a hard game for them to come away with a win. But all the division games are. I mean, you can't. When have we ever sat here and said, oh, yeah, it's going to be an easy division game? Never, yeah, right? That, that, that doesn't it just exist. doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> easy division games. Yeah, that's a that's an oxymoron. But, right. I, I mean, as we reset the table kind of a little bit mm-hmm. on this Seahawks season, I mean, we talked about this heading in. We said what we're, we were going to learn about the Seahawks after the bye week. Right. And like, it's, we talked about this in May when the schedule came out. You know, it wasn't just even at the beginning. We talked about it in the May. We said the meat of the schedule, week seven through week 12. And that's where they play all their tough games, you know. Right. And so far, you're one and two in this stretch. And you have two more road games to go with at L.A. and then at Philadelphia to cap it off on a Monday night. And sandwiched in between, you have the home game against the Cardinals, who already beat you to start off this. Oh, stretch. yeah. And, and that that's hard. Those games – back-to-back division games like that it's difficult on yeah. a short, short week it is it's very difficult you talk about arizona san francisco then you get buffalo and then now back-to-back la and then arizona it's like man that's that's not a, that's not an easy task and no. that's one thing that for me is when you look at the teams that seahawks have beaten the best win they have so far in their season is miami right what it looks like miami appears to be pretty good uh, it's not the Miami that the Seahawks played. Now now it's Tua Tungo-Vailoa who elevates their ceiling even higher than what Fitzpatrick was there. But 
You know, it's like a lot of these wins that they have Atlanta, New England, Dallas, Minnesota. Minnesota's looking better now, so you at least feel a little bit better about how that was a close game. But it's I, I think we're starting to learn the, the the true ceiling of this team. And at this point, I mean you just if somebody said, Would you sign up for the Seahawks maybe going three and three in this stretch or two and four? I mean, as of right now, I think the Seahawks will probably sign up for it because it's right. it's 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 pretty difficult, you know. And and unfortunately, they're catching the Eagles on November thirtieth at the wrong time because now the Eagles are getting healthier. Yeah, it's not like the Eagles; they'll be a better team than what we saw in the first half of the season. At least you would think if they're able to remain healthy. So it's it's, it's not easy, and this it's the second half of the season. At the halfway point, six and two, you definitely would take six and two on on the second half as well, because that would get you to twelve and four. But right, it, it's going to be a very tough road to get to twelve and four. And the Eagles are still pissed that Clowney beat up Carson Wentz in the playoffs, yeah. so they're going to be out for revenge. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough. Yeah, one. it's a tough month. If they go three and three, they're lucky. Yeah, that's the way I see it, honestly. But I don't, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> You could be looking at two division losses in a matter of five days. <laughs> that, <laughs> not, not, to, not to be the Grim Reaper or anything, but I mean, I mean, you could, or you could be that, looking that, at two that, division that, wins and, and seriously, you know, distant yourself from everybody else. And that's the way that, I mean, the division I feel like is going to be decided. I don't know if it'll be decided, but we'll at least, I guess on one hand, it could be decided if the Seahawks, Rip-off wins against the Rams and the Cardinals, I think it's decided Seahawks winning the division. If they don't, if they split or if they lose both, I think we're going to be in for a wild month of December right. in terms of who wins that division. It's going to be looking at standing, scoreboard watching, uh, all the above because, like you said, like it, they could easily lose two division games in the span of five days, mm. and that would be an absolutely devastating blow because, I mean, that would drop you to six and four on the year after starting out five and oh. I mean talk about widespread panic. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Th- th- this week is gonna be nothing compared to what would happen uh a week from today if they were to lose to both the Rams and the Cardinals. But it is twenty twenty. So I mean the, anything's on the table. The bar the, the ceiling you speak of is very low. <laughs> <laughs> 2020, yeah. 2020, we keep banging our heads on the ceiling. That's what 2020 I mean, I, is. I, so I, I, I want to ask you, I mean, we've kind of been talking about it pretty much throughout this, the duration of this podcast, but where is your panic meter on the Seahawks? Uh, a zero being no panic at all. They just lost the game. A 10 being fire Kent Norton. The season could be derailed. Like, mm-hmm. where are you on the panic meter right now? I think I'm right in the middle. I'm right, right in the, the middle, middle because you do have your offense. You do have a defense that is now suddenly getting to the quarterback a little bit and has things coming together on the front end. I'm encouraged by Dunlap and then Rasheem Green coming back. You know, if they have that rotation working, I'm still waiting for LJ Collier to really <laughs> make a dominant presence. Um, yeah, don't hold your breath. No, exactly. <laughs> but uh, if they can figure out this this pass defense, but and that's that's the thing. I I think we kind of you that you go that roller coaster ride. And the defense, people were feeling better about the defense after the 49ers game. 
because they had guys hurt. There wasn't a Jamal Adams. They played well. They held him down to 300, yeah. right? I mean, for the first time. And then all of a sudden, that's when they came back and had the dud against Buffalo, which is a really good Buffalo team. So I, I don't think I'm, I'd be like in a panic mode, but I definitely have concern for the team as a whole. But I think the offense will, will definitely figure it out. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm probably – I might be lower than you, to be quite honest. Oh. Um, I'm probably at about a three or so. Like, I, wow. I, I genuinely think that they're going to be okay. Hmm. Uh, like, like my thing with what we saw against Buffalo is that we didn't learn anything. Well, going in, right. I felt the defense was bad, <laughs> and guess what? They were bad. It just, it just really <laughs> reinforced that thought. Exactly. I guess, I guess, and maybe that's why people, because you mentioned the San Francisco game. I'm not sure if folks took that and were like, "Oh, wow, this is like our defense is good." Because to me, and it's easy to look back in hindsight, but. That was more about the status of Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. And, it, like, Jimmy Garoppolo was clearly compromised and then goes and gets hurt and is now essentially done for the year. So you had a quarterback out there playing on one leg. Of course your defense is going to look good against the quarterback playing on one leg. Sure. So, so it's every data point this year has told us that this defense is vulnerable and we just saw the defense be vulnerable while the offense also turning the ball over four times. Hmm. So if the offense doesn't turn the ball over four times, and I, I believe that is an aberration. We know the Seahawks under Russell Wilson since 2012 historically don't turn the ball over a crazy at a crazy clip. They might have one, maybe two, but they don't turn it over at a crazy clip. That's pretty rare. They'll have maybe one game of seasons where that happens. Unfortunately, it happened last week. But as long as they don't turn the ball over or have any weird stuff happen like that, they should be fine, and they should be able to be in these shootout games where I think that the Seahawks, in every game on their schedule, I know for a fact that they have the best quarterback on the field. Right. So I just – when you have that in your pocket, it's, just, it's a confidence that I have where it's like, hey, I'm just confident that they're, they're going to get it done. I don't Maybe I'm just naive and I'm just drinking no. the, the, the let Russ cook Kool-Aid too much, but I just think that it was just kind of – a snowball effect that happened last week. They got behind and then you got Russ in a situation where he was really pressing and made some uncharacteristic mistakes. And as long as that doesn't happen, they should be all right. Yeah. I do think Russell will get sacked six times though this weekend. Yeah, that could happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's not an aberration. That, we've seen that happen multiple times. Well, that, that is a primary concern. If they do have a backup center and you, you're going against the best in the league, in my opinion, and yeah. the Rams just do make his days miserable from a sack standpoint. Um, yes. Based on that dynamic alone of the, the fill-in center. Uh, so I'll be watching that injury report very closely. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, that let would me concern put it, me. Yeah. Let, me, let me put it this way with my panic meter. I'm at a three right now, but in a week, it has the potential to be at a zero or at a nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like this, these next two games are going to tell us a lot. Yes. And, and I mean, these, these first three have told us a lot of this stretch, but these next two, well, for sure. I think these next two, by, I'm going to say this, by November 19th, by this time next week, maybe a few hours afterwards, mm. since the game will be played. So around, let's say 9 p.m. on November 19th. That's what's crazy. Like, think about it. Like, Ruby, they're playing a game a week from now. And they haven't, yeah. and they haven't even played the Rams yet. They haven't played the Rams. And that's yet. the the beauty or ugliness of Thursday night football. 
that's Thursday night. But then you get a nice little like, eleven day break, which they need, <laughs> which they could really need. I always look at that when the schedule comes out. When's the bye? And then when's, when's the Thursday, Thursday night? nighter? Because you kill yourself between Sunday and Thursday. It's just about a matter of getting your bodies ready. Forget about a game plan, which is good because they played Arizona a few weeks ago. But no, it, it really it's, it's, is a mini buy. I mean, ten days, pretty much. It, it's a nice, it's a nice little bye week that they have. But I think by nine p.m. Uh, November nineteenth, we'll know exactly what yep. the Seahawks are in terms of their potential uh, for the rest of the season. So you're, like, I, I think it's going to tell us exactly what we need to know. So you'll be at the game Thursday night. You'll be covering that. You'll yep. send something back for the eleven o'clock. So when you finish your stand-up, you will either have like palm trees and sunshine, like one of those little <laughs> cartoon bubbles, or you're going to have <laughs> steam in your eyes and smoke coming out your ears. <laughs> I'll tell you what. So I'm going to watch that can, specifically. We're, we're, we're either going to like superimpose or maybe get like one of those Zoom backgrounds or something. Oh, God. To where that I'm either going to be in the background, it'll, it'll be Raymond James Stadium or Tampa, <laughs> the side of this year's Super Bowl. Or, or it'll be Four Seasons uh, Landscaping. Or, 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 or it'll be, no, it, it'll be, you'll just see nameplates on a whiteboard and that'll be a draft board. <laughs> telling people what they should get ready for <laughs> it's either it's either get ready for tampa or it's time to get ready for the draft uh, and i'll have the big board behind me gosh <laughs> but <laughs> all jokes aside though i do think these next two games though will tell yep. us everything we need to know about this seahawks team and that's what's exciting bill parcells always said that you start to know who you are as a team around thanksgiving mm-hmm. and I mean, we're not quite there yet we still have a, a couple of weeks but i think these next two games will really tell us and help fill in the blanks on what the, uh, the outlook of the Seahawks season should be. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of corresponding to that, Dave Dave Niehaus always said, "Look at your ball club uh, at Father's Day weekend." He goes, "It's a pretty good, unless there's some astronomical, uh, a crazy run and massive win streak. Pretty much where your ball club is mid June is usually where you end up in the first of October." So, I mean, yeah. that, you know, of course, but there's there's good little litmus test as you go through a season and that this, this is one. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Sunday. We'll see. Um, Huskies, are they going to play on, on Saturday? There's an Oregon state positive COVID test. Oh my goodness. I mean, that would be crazy. These things you never know. As of now, they will be playing. Uh, I know the report came from, uh, out in Oregon land. Mm. It was from the Oregonian, right. one of their reporters who uh, covers the Beavers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they announced that they have one COVID-19 positive, but the game is still on. Right. So we'll see if, that, if they're able to kind of keep that contained. That's what we're hoping for. All, all the best to that student athlete that's dealing with uh, the coronavirus. They hopefully are on their path to a fast and speedy recovery. Right. But um, it's what a bummer that would be, though, man. I mean, they've already they already canceled the opener against Cal, which was supposed to be last Saturday. And if they if they cancel again, it's it would really be a bummer. And but it's unfortunate that's kind of but what's what it's been like in college football in 2020, especially this week. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the SEC schedule, oh, but that's four games. canceled four games this week, or at least postponed four games this week because of coronavirus. Did you see why and, LSU got canceled? Or postponed? I did not see why. No. Uh, evidently, a lot of the LSU players went to a Halloween party. Well, that that's 
college kids like to go to Halloween parties and any parties was last yeah. week or two, two weeks two ago weeks. was Halloween. Two weeks. Are we are we surprised? Did you see the lines in L.A. at Dodger Stadium? Oh my God! Yes, I did. I saw that. The, there's a big look like the regular traffic. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I could not believe. Like it. We've we've seen that. Also, Alabama LSU a premier game. Ohio State Maryland. So Ohio State now a Big Ten team. We're seeing have their game canceled. Uh, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, Auburn, Mississippi State. The list goes on and on and on in terms of games that have been postponed or canceled yeah. so far this week. And you just you hope the Pac-12 is able to avoid it because they're already kind of threading the needle as is with this late start. And if you're the Huskies, you can't really afford to have another game that gets canceled. You know, I mean, at that point, you're playing only five games and then maybe one crossover. Right. So Unbelievable. And then I just saw – North Texas at UAB, their game was canceled. So the question, who, who wow. is going to play on Saturday? We'll see. I know that there's no there's no ranked matchups uh, on deck for Saturday. Wow. So, that's, uh, so unbelievable. Uh, it's, it, it's it's kind of a, it's a truncated kind of college football season. Like you look at it and it's just like wow, there really aren't that because usually when you pull up ESPN app or whatever it's website you use. And you're scrolling through the college football games. It's like, wow, this is really long. A lot of games going on. But it's just not been the case this year. It's like you scroll and it's like, oh, that's it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, you're just like, wow. No, there's only about, from what I can see, about uh, 30-something games, maybe 40 games going on today. That's that's not normal. Wow. <laughs> it's, usually, it's usually about 60. But uh, that's, that's such is life in 2020. But for the Huskies, it's, it's a new era with Jimmy Lake, a new quarterback with – Insert name here, and yeah, you know, like I'm the, waiting. What what's going the dogs on? Dogs are off and running. Who who's going to be the quarterback? I I mean that's beats me. The sermon, or <laughs> you go with the kid from Sacramento State? I I mean, you, you, there was even one indication that we might see all four quarterbacks in the well, in and the, that's what Jimmy, in the Jimmy Cal Lake game said initially. It. I was like, what? Jimmy Jimmy Lake has said it multiple times. He said that we're not opposed to playing oh. three or four quarterbacks if they're all good enough. Goodness gracious. Um, in my opinion, it's it's very rare that you would have four quarterbacks that are all good. <laughs> if that was if if, they, if it got to the point where they're playing four guys, that means they don't feel good about any of them. Wouldn't that be like That's a record playing four four quarterbacks I mean, in a game? It. Other than the Pro Bowl, I've never seen it. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. That I, I would think that they would have kind of come down to a uh, one of the guys, maybe one or two guys. And, and you know it could be just kind of just Jimmy Lake kind of trying to hold his cards to his to his chest. He doesn't want to give anything away because, quite frankly, he doesn't have to. And there's no tape on his team since nobody's seen any spring games and nobody's seen anything. So it's all a big surprise for these uh, games or these first opponents. And almost in a sneaky way, the Huskies are at a bigger advantage than Oregon State, even though they haven't played because they've seen Oregon State on tape now against Washington State. Oregon State has no clue what the Huskies look like. None. None whatsoever. <laughs> None whatsoever. Yeah, yeah that would be because their their last their last taste of it was 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 last year with late in the year, wasn't it? They played Oregon State. Yeah. So, I mean Jonathan Smith, he knew personnel from when he was here, but there's a lot of those guys, those guys are, gone. are gone. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. I look forward to seeing. Then the the Cougs got Oregon at home. Yeah, Oregon, one of the uh, one of the lone. I think maybe one of the two teams in the Pac-12 
that has a chance at the playoff. I mean, you never know what happens, but it's Oregon and USC who have been the teams that have been touted at least preseason with a realistic shot. Oregon ranked number 11. They look they look pretty decent. Uh, their defense is really good. That looked really good. The mm-hmm. offense is, seems like they're going to be trying to be a more of a ground game. You know, Mario Cristobal being a former offensive lineman, you know those guys like physical football, so they're trending more as towards a, a physical running game and not a speed kind of option show that they were running there in, in years past. But, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's going to be a tough one for Washington State. Uh, obviously a really good win for them. Jaden Dolora looked really he good did. against Oregon State. He mm-hmm. was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Rolovich gets his first win as WSU head coach. Um, but the competition is going to be a lot tougher come Saturday. And they, they got they got a nice little prime window here, 4 p.m. Uh, on Fox, where they'll be playing on a national uh, nationally televised audience or at a time that's not super late for the folks out east. So the Cougs want to make a nice little statement. Maybe they can give Oregon a run come Saturday at uh, Martin Stadium, but it'll definitely be a lot tougher than what they faced against the Beavers this past Saturday. For the record, I think you probably know this, I can't stand Oregon. I can't stand Oregon football, <laughs> and I absolutely hope that Rolovich is 2-0 after Saturday. I really can't. I, they just irritate the daylights out of me with their 154 I mean, a, uniform combinations. Stupid. Just What a story that would be, though. It'd be great. It'd be great. That would be, an, that'd be an amazing story. I mean, right now they're 10-point underdogs at home so it's like that's that's it's a tough spot to be in usually if you're a 10 point dog at home that means the other team is uh, considerably mm-hmm. better than you but so the cougars have a running game now they and do that's going to be something that oregon's going to have to account for and a lot of guys from oregon bolted for the pros and aren't playing this year so maybe they can take Take, and granted, it's a lot like some of the better schools. You just kind of line up another guy right after. But yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe they can take advantage of some some guys that aren't as experienced, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, it had to be the first game in forever since Washington State had more rushing yards than passing. I know. Yards. Yeah, definitely wasn't under Mike Leach. No. I can tell you that. For sure. <laughs> Mike Leach has the weekend off as well because then Mississippi State's not playing. He does. We'll see if he, maybe he watches a little bit of Cougar football. Yeah, he probably Take, taking he, taking Cougar football Saturday. Forget it. I'm getting out of here and going to Key West. Gonna go Sloppy Joe's, ride my bike. You know, that's exact. That's exactly. Look for that is. little troll of a sports reporter from Spokane. Whatever he said, <laughs> terrible, terrible man. When he said that about that guy, that was that oh, was man. that was the Apple Cup last year, right? Wasn't it, it, it was last oh, year's Apple God. Cup. John uh, Arquette. What's his name? John Blanchett. John Blanchett. John Blanchett. John Blanchett. Okay, he's a, he was the night court guy. Blanch- <laughs> Blanchett. Blanchett. Yeah, John Blanchett. Very nice. Yeah, man. Very heck reporter. of a writer. Eh? Uh, you know, I, it, was, it was getting it was getting under Leach's skin because unfortunately he was uh, he was saying the truth. But didn't you know so, he was leaving? At that point, you knew he was gone. I'm, I mean, it's always it's always tough with Leach because I. Every year that I was in Spokane, he was rumored to leave, so you never knew what to believe. Right. Essentially, it was Tennessee, there was Texas Tech, there was all these other openings. And it's like, hey, Leach's Leach's name is floating around. His and, name's floating around. And as a sports reporter, you cover those things, and year after year, yeah, the time you spend, okay, don't you get to a point where you're just like, just just go, please, pretty much, please leave. You know, we're tired and, and, of your antics. Just, just and, and luckily for me, it's like I had already I had left by then, so I didn't have to deal with it. This is but, true. You were here. Yeah. I mean, the the fact that I mean, in this time, it really came came out of nowhere. 
Right. You know, I don't think that many people thought Leach was leaving, and it was kind of it was late in the in the year, from what I remember. It was like kind of mid January when he decided to head to Mississippi State. But yeah, no, it's kind of a. It, it, it was it, it was it was a little more surprising than the other ones were, where his name was being floated around yeah. and he just kind of stayed. So, you you know, uh, uh, Starkville is just Pullman in Mississippi. It's Pullman South. That's all it is. And and and, and, and Lubbock, maybe Lubbock, worse. Lubbock is Pullman, Texas. Right. It's he definitely his kind of shtick. Uh, it has to play in kind of an area like that. Got to be an outpost. It, it really does. And I think that's, and I think he knows that too, deep down. That's why these jobs seem to attract him or there, or he's attracted to them is because he knows that, you know, it's kind of got to be a place where he can kind of run the show and there's not a huge, maybe alumni base to respond to. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of the way it's just a natural fit. Right. Well, he has the weekend off. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then a let's, long week. He does have a weekend off. Let's, uh, uh, but Huskies, I think Huskies get the win. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. I believe Huskies get the win. You know, they're 13 and a half point favorites. First game at Husky Stadium. No fans. That'll be kind of weird. interesting to yeah. see. Very weird. Both, so both, quiet. both places, both venues in the state this weekend. Be, no fans. It'll be very quiet yeah. on Mont Lake. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think they'll get a nice win to start off Jimmy Lake's tenure as the UW head coach Cougs it's going to be tough uh, but I'm, I'm going to take Oregon Oregon's defense will be uh, to a level that Jaden Delora has not seen before and uh, I think I think Oregon wins it pretty comfortably yeah go Cougs uh, we'll see what happens but, yeah we'll see what happens it's the border wars though Washington yeah. Oregon Oregon State, like Washington Oregon State rather mm-hmm. than Washington State versus Oregon so the Pac-12 North is that Pac- is that what I forgot back when Rick Neuheisel the Northwest Championship Northwest the Championship, Northwest championship. The, the, year, the year when they beat all three uh, yep. Northwest schools. Yep. I forgot who it was that made the T-shirt. It was cracking me <laughs> yeah. up. I think they, they kind of made it with Sharpies. Um, oh, yeah, the Northwest Championship. The, Those are back in the days of Reggie Williams. Yeah, He's a, right. One of, my, one, of my, one of my favorites. Oh, he was awesome. Um, he was a really, really good player. The um, last thing to touch on, uh, Tiger Woods, defending Masters champ, I gotta be honest yeah. with you. I don't watch a lot of golf. I mean, it makes me fall asleep. It does. I like <laughs> to be outside doing things. Um, I do watch the bigger ones, you know, the finishes. Uh, but Tiger Woods is really the only reason I will watch golf. To tell you the truth, I'm, yeah. I'm just being blatantly honest. I, that, I, I mean, I do like Jordan. The majority, I like Spieth. the majority of people. Yeah, I like Spieth. People just watch because of time. Yeah, Spieth. I was really impressed when he came uh, for the U.S. Open. I, I thought he was great to be around. Uh, yeah. I, I do like Rory. I mean, there's, there's certain guys I notice, you know, but I. I I just I can't sit down for like five hours and watch golf. I'll fall asleep. But Tiger does keep me captivated, and he had a four under sixty eight. But I I think the more fun thing to discuss, other than his round today, and the fact that it's cool to see a guy like that still playing well, and through all the stuff he's been through, you know, surgeries, physically, everything like that, was that did you see the difference in the champions dinner from his first one when he was twenty two, to to this year? I have. I did not see. I saw this year's menu. Yeah. I have not seen his 1997 Masters menu. So you saw this year, which was uh, r- yeah, roughly like sushi, rolls, and then the and then the chicken and steak fajitas. Right, and then the really good looking dessert. They had the flan. Yep. They had the churro thing, and everything. I was I was getting hungry just reading it. Well, the menu for when he went back for his Champions dinner, first one in '98. Yeah. It was. Burgers, fries, and shakes. 
I think that's awesome. It's a simple man back then. Right. It's a, it's a very simple man. Right. Can you imagine those stuffed shirts at Augusta? What? Oh my gosh. What? What, what would you What would you put on your master's dinner menu if you uh, got yourself a green jacket? Yeah. And the following year, folks don't know. Every year they do a champions dinner. Yeah. I believe it's the Tuesday night before the tournament starts on Thursday. And all the champions have passed, all gather there at Augusta National in some sort of cabin and have a nice little lavish dinner. Wow. And the menu, the menu is made by the previous year's champion. So, Mike, wow. if you happen to win yourself a gold, uh, gold jacket, a green jacket, right. what would be on your master's okay. menu? I'm going to answer this, and then when I get done, you got to answer yours, okay? I'll, I'll give okay. you uh, I'm going to go back to front, if that's okay. I'm going to start with dessert. <laughs> Look at you! You have a big. Sweet you know, tip, you know you? I do. You know I do. <laughs> but I am going to go with peach cobbler with vanilla ice cream and homemade Ooh. homemade whipped cream. You got to be kind of, you know, that sounds really from good from the area, right? From the area. Yeah. Have little pound cakes in the bottom of the peach cobbler. So yeah, you, little, you know, Georgia peach. Yeah, yeah. Because you're good. Okay. My wife got her master's degree down in Georgia, and I used to drive through Augusta when I was living in North Carolina. So you know, you could just see the peach stands pop up as you go. For for dinner, I I'm a I like chicken and I like it when it's kind of got that crispy edge to it, not fried but almost like cooked with some seasonings on it. You know I don't know what you would call it, uh, with some mashed potatoes and green beans, kind of like a protein starch vegetable combination. And then for the appetizer, uh, that that's a really tough question because I'm not a huge appetizer guy. But I would probably do something because you're kind of close to the Gulf. I would probably do like a traditional, you know, shrimp cocktails or something else fried and tasty, which, I, which I, I'd have to research a little bit. But with sweet tea and iced tea would have to be the, um, the, the, the drinks of choice for sure. Gotcha. What do you got? Okay, so for, uh, for starters, I'm thinking a – Fried calamari. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of like a fried calamari. I really love it. It's my favorite appetizer. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, definitely my favorite appetizer anywhere I go. Would they like uh, aioli sauce? It has, they have to have, it has to be done really, it has to be done well. Like, I'm not going to get it at any old restaurant, but it's, if, if at its peak, it is my favorite. Question though, on uh, that, are you rings only or do you do the tentacles, like the feet things? Oh, I can do the tentacles. Gotcha. Oh, gotcha. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I just give it to, give it all to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, Fried calamari right. would be the appetizer. The dinner, the entree, I guess, would be it would be a nice New York steak, mm. New York strip steak. Uh, I mean, from I like mine medium rare, but people can have it cooked however they right. want. Uh, it would be on the side some really really cheesy macaroni and cheese. Uh, I would have some asparagus to go along with mm-hmm. it. And maybe if you, if you want mashed potatoes, but not really needed, you don't really need the garlic mash. You've already got the mac and cheese. Right. So probably just the, yeah, the nice New York steak and then some mac and cheese and some asparagus. Protein, starch, and veggie. We were kind of the same page there, just different meat. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you got to hit all, all, all areas. Right. And then for dessert. Oh, oh man. It would, so I'm pretty simple with my desserts. Not super. I'm, I'm not, I have a pretty big sweet too, so I try not to eat desserts as, or sweet things as much because if I do, I just eat them all right. <laughs> and i got like a relapse <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but for dessert it would be ice cream mm. with hot fudge and chocolate cake oh yeah 
and like and just a little bit of a little bit of whipped cream maybe if you want to do yep. that as well but mm. definitely hot fudge chocolate cake ice cream vanilla ice cream to kind of ease us out of the evening there so that that would be my dinner my master's champions dinner i'm starving uh, for right some now. reason i ever won a green jacket i'm starving right now <laughs> gosh there are some really good ones have you seen I, i'm looking at the pga tour website has a lot of these uh they have everyone's master's champions dinner dating back to 1986 is what it looks like here oh wow and i'm, I'm gonna check them out i'm seeing so Tiger, yeah, he's done a quite a bit of different ones. Porterhouse <laughs> Steak, two thousand, because you know he's won. I mean, he's won five Masters, yeah. so he's been able to mix up to the menu. Run the game, yeah, dinner menu. But I mean, yeah, yeah, Phil Mickelson in two thousand five, lobster ravioli and tomato cream sauce with Caesar salad and garlic bread. That's really tasty. This is. Did you see the two thousand three from Tiger? Chicken, porterhouse uh, yeah, steak, that, sushi, porterhouse sashimi, steak, chicken, salads, yeah. crab cakes, asparagus, mashed That's, potatoes, chocolate it, truffle cake. Mike, That's you. He, he hit the whole spectrum. That like was both of us right there. Honestly. That's fantastic. That's, oh my but there's so I think Jordan Spieth might have had one of my favorites. Yeah, he because he had the salad, some so local green salad, then main course Texas barbecue, brisket, smoked half chicken, pork ribs. Mm. Barbecue baked beans, bacon and chai potato salad, sauteed green beans, grilled zucchini, roasted yellow squash, and then warm chocolate chip cookie and vanilla ice cream for dessert. I mean, that's, I mean, good gosh. <laughs> that, these menus are really good. Patrick Reed is definitely, uh, definitely likes his, uh, it was a lot of creamed corn, creamed spinach. It's the Emerald Lagasse menu. <laughs> like 18 sticks of butter and everything. <laughs> that's that's really what I was looking for. I was like, it's like it's like a lot of butter going on here. Jeez, Man, no judgment to Patrick Reed, but uh, yeah, there was a lot, lot of butter. You had your mac and cheese, corn cream brulee, cream <laughs> yeah. spinach. Wow, yeah, you'll be feeling it. Yeah, you, you definitely you'll vanilla be cream it. brulee for the. <laughs> you you need all of Wednesday. Oh my you god! You need all of Wednesday to recover. So that you play well Thursday. Yeah. He probably wouldn't eat anything, and everybody else would end up with the trots on the course. Like oh, my gosh. I mean, how did he play last year? He must have played terribly. God. That's what he ate. Those guys metabolize that. He gets all they eat. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, with, with that, we got to end, and we're going to cut off here, buddy. Yeah, that's a good one to end yep. on. The Masters Dinner of Champions. Fantastic, <laughs> yeah. As, as always, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find us. I'm starving, Mike, it's, uh, starving. It's been fun. I know, I'm, I'm just, I need to cook up some dinner here because uh, my tummy's grumbling after talking. Right on, that, all right. It's, it's always.